Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us. In 1991, Jorge Torres and his family moved from war-torn El Salvador to what they presumed to be a safe and simple life in Winnipeg, Manitoba. But as a first-generation immigrant living in poverty, Jorge quickly began to feel that what he had and who he was didn't seem to be enough. Battling against cultural differences and emotional abuse, he compensated by creating a criminal persona that earned him power, admiration and respect. Caught up in a lifestyle of drug dealing, he found himself addicted to the hustle and willing to risk everything, including the lives of his own family. But as the consequences of his actions escalated, so did his desire to change. Today our special guest is Jorge Torres, who has agreed to share his story with us. Jorge, welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for having me. Jorge, you, from your first breath, came into a world of chaos. You were in El Salvador during a time of civil war. Uh, you saw the sights and sounds of war. What was that like? So my mom says that when the war was occurring, we were on the, she was on the floor waiting to give birth to me. And she would hear gunshots and planes flying above and bombs in the distance. And she was just praying that a bomb wouldn't fall on the house. And a bomb fell close by and immediately I came up. Wow. And then your mom decided to immigrate to Canada or to move the whole family to Canada. And my mom really hoped that Canada would be the change that would change our lives and specific my father's life, right? That it'd be a new start for our family. And unfortunately, it wasn't. Why your father? My dad had bad habits that um, my dad was an alcoholic and he was very abusive. And my mom figured that being in Canada would be a new start for him and for us as a family. But those habits just followed him um, into Canada and, you know, into our continued on in our family. So you got into uh, drug dealing mm. at a very young age, about yeah. the age of 14. Yeah. Why do you think that happened? Well, I was, you know, I was influenced by seeing some of these younger people and specifically I had an older sister that had a boyfriend that kind of um, was living this lifestyle and at least for me as a kid was a lot, right? It was a lot. And so he had communicated to me that this is what he was doing and so early at an early age I said this is the way to get out of the ghetto. I'm just going to also be a, be a drug dealer. Jorge, can you tell us about that Canada Day when you were 15 years old and you stole a vehicle for the second time? Yeah, I felt that my solution to being a better drug dealer and getting girls was to have my own vehicle. And so the only solution there also was to steal vehicles. And so we had, we had a fleet of stolen vehicles and um, I was driving a van in specific and on Canada Day, I was going down a street called Henderson Highway and a friend of mine pulled up beside us. So we were kind of going back and forth like this. And then her face went pale white and she goes, there's a cop behind you. And I said, no. And I looked behind me and the sirens were on. And so I had a decision to make. What do I do? I'm in a stolen vehicle and by myself. Do I, do I stop? Do I go? Right? And so I'd watched, I'd played enough video games to understand like I might be able to get away here. 
And so immediately I, I turn left, I, I, I go through a parking lot, I enter into a residential area, and I enter a residential area that came to almost a T dead end, where the street ended here, but there was a row of houses here, and there was a street here. And so I was driving about maybe 60, 70 kilometers an hour going here, and noticed I won't make the turn. And so what I did was I slowed down and to about 40 kilometers an hour, 30, and I jumped out of the car. And when I jumped out, the car um, went straight forward and smashed into a pole in front of a house. And then I'm rolling onto the ground and a cop car pulls up, honestly, maybe less than a foot away from my head. And I'm just laying there. And I remember just laying there being like, but it was slow, but it sounds fast. And I remember just laying there being like, let's go. And so I get up immediately and I, and I'm now I'm running. I enter into a back lane and I'm running as fast as I can. And I know where I am. I say, okay, one left turn, two right turns and I'm at my house. And then I can't, this is the only way I can explain it. And I explain it as the hand of God. As I'm running as fast as I can, I got at least 40, 50 feet on the police officer. And, and immediately just like, I just hit a wall. Like I, I didn't have not a real wall, but just, I just stopped and my knees buckled and I fell and all the breath I had in my lungs just left me and I fell to the ground and the cop, I hear him getting closer and closer and then, and then it was over. That was the first time I got arrested on Canada Day. And you ended up getting a record? Yes. That was the beginning. Yeah, that was the beginning of my downfall. You know, Jorge, Mark and I were reading your book and um, we're reading it and I'm just like, what is it? Like, he just keeps on committing crimes. He keeps on getting arrested. He keeps on losing his license. Like, just keep on doing this all the time. Like, when is he going to stop? Every single time I wanted to change. Every time. After that arrest, after my next auto theft, after I was expelled from schools, after the shooting, after robberies, I always wanted to stop. But, and I would take the steps to stop, right? And then something would just pull me back in. It was just the battle that I was in. Like the, the, the good that I want to do, I don't do, right? The bad I don't want to do, I end up doing, right? And that was my life for like six, seven years. And, and, and each time things kept getting worse, right? And you ask yourself, when is it enough? Uh, you got to a stage where you, you were selling cocaine. Yeah. And then there was a undercover cop yeah. who caught you and you ended up in jail. And while you were in jail, uh, it, it was just one bad thing after another. But then you started thinking about Miss Mary. Yeah. Tell us about her. So Miss Mary was an old Mennonite woman whose ministry was to minister to the poor kids um, in her surrounding area. And she would come to our projects and she chose our family as like the hub and the center of this little ministry of hers. And once a week, she would walk over like six kilometers, rain or shine, you know, freezing or warm, like she's there. And she would teach us about Jesus. And um, one day, I remember being seven years old and she said, does anyone here want to give their life to Jesus and be saved? And I was, and be forgiven for their sins. I'm seven years old thinking about all the bad things I've done. <laughs> and I said, I do. 
and I gave my life to God there, you know? And, and now I'm in jail. And I remember just wearing a green jumpsuit and, and I'm in my cell and I'm just like, what, what has happened in my life? And a thought came like, hey, like, do you remember this? And I did. And I, I remember kneeling by my, my bed and, and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if you, if you get me out of here, like I'll, I'll change my life forever. And I said, and I'll serve you. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time, you know, but I said it and, you know, I remembered that in that moment. Yeah. So Jorge, can you tell us how God answered that prayer and how you were able to get out of jail? Yeah, so getting out of jail was really tough because I had, there was a, the government had a very strong case against me. In fact, I, the reason why my book's called Dangerous Society is the first time I went for bail, the judge said, he's this kid's not getting out. He's a danger to society, right? And so it was, I didn't think I'd be getting out, but we put all our, our apples in a bag and hope maybe this will work. And so when we got to court, um, everything was stacked against us, right? My lawyer was more nervous than I. They're the wrong judge, wrong crown. Our original ones were sick and they, we had the option, do we move forward or not? And, um, and we did. And, you know, that day I was escorted by a guard into the, into the courthouse, into the courtroom, shackles on my feet, shackles on my hands to be entered into my family there waiting, you know, like what a scene for them, right? And, and it, the trial continues and my sister has to go up for surety for me. And she, she puts her life on the line so that I can get out of jail. And the judge was able to see that, you know, this was a selfless act by somebody that, that, that believed in me. And I come from a loving home, you know, and it was no doing of my lawyer, you know, it was just doing of, of true love of my, my family and, you know, my sister for, for getting me out there. You, you had a, a constant tit for tat kind of a, uh, a, a disagreement with other fellow drug dealers and it was back and forth kind of a, um, getting revenge and they came after you in your mother's house and that was a really dangerous situation. Tell us about what happened there. So when I got out of jail I was on house arrest. Um, tried staying out the lifestyle. And that was probably the longest I ever stayed out of the lifestyle. Mind you, because I was on house arrest and couldn't go anywhere. And then I went back into the lifestyle, but um, with more, more money, more problems, right? Jealousy, coveting, enemies, this and that. And, and we had a good friend group, but the friend group just turned on each other. And, and that led to, to, to one night a guy, you know, wanting to shoot me and running up to my mother's home and blowing out the windows with a shotgun while she was inside. And that ended up getting into the newspapers. It was reported. And then your family sat down with you and said, okay, this is it, Jorge. You got to stop or get out of here. Yeah, because like my, my lifestyle hadn't touched my home up to that point, right? But now it touched home. Right. And, and my family had like an intervention for me and said, you know, it's, it's that time. And 
I had a decision to make, right? And I, and I did choose my family for two weeks. And then I went back into it. And I think that was where we both kind of said, why? <laughs> why is he doing and that, this? And that's, right? that's why it's a story of bad decisions, right? Like it's, it's the constant. You think it's enough and then it's not. You right. think it's enough and then it's not. Right. Jorge, how did God intervene in your life and get you out of that lifestyle? My father was going to come back into our lives. He had left us young when we were a bit, you know, a, a little bit younger. And now he was coming back into the scene. Him and my mom had decided to work things out. And he um, decides this one specific Saturday, he's coming home. My mom says, hey, your dad's coming home. I said, okay, hey, you guys worked it out. I'm going to leave one day. This is between y'all. All my sisters were over that day because um, we'd get together. And so in comes my dad. It's been years since he's been home. It's been years since he's been allowed to come back home. Okay. The guy comes in, swings open the door, boom, smashes the wall. The guy comes in with a case of beer. It's a let, mind you, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning or so. And he comes in with a case of beer, completely wasted out of his mind. And I remember being like, huh? Because for a second, I thought maybe this is a good thing. My father's coming back in my life. I have no direction in my life. And lo and behold, this is how he comes in. I remember shrinking, sitting in my kitchen, and he goes into the living room. My sisters are just giving it to him. Like, how dare you come in like this? You know, I'm sitting there on the table like, what is going on? You know what I mean? I actually thought I was trying to change my life. And now this, in, this specific situation was just kind of a, a weight that I, I can't really explain to you, but it was a big weight on me. And I remember sitting in the table, listening to everything. My sister, she goes on her knees and she says to my dad, well, forget this whole thing ever happened. Choose the liquor or your family. Quiet. I'm in the kitchen waiting. Everyone's waiting. And he chooses the liquor. My sister grabs the case of beer, hawks it out the front yard and kicks him up. I'm sitting in the kitchen like, what? You know? And that was a moment that I say that the devil spoke to me. And it was, where were you last happy? And I said, I guess when I was drug dealing. Like that was the only thing I knew, right? And in that moment I decided like, I, I'm gonna go back to that. I pick up my phone. And right in that moment, my sister, the one that had bailed me out of jail, taps on my shoulder and says, hey, Jorge, there's a, um, there's a pastor speaking tonight at the school. I'm going to go. I think you should go too. And I'm like, like why would I go? <laughs> and she's like, I'm just telling you. I sat there and in the middle of, in between calling my old supplier and this new news, I can only explain it now as the Holy Spirit. This conviction came upon me that before I do anything, I should go to this thing. And the day would go, the day went on, and my friends would say, Hey, what's what's up tonight? You coming out? Because it was a Saturday. I said, Yeah, yeah, I'm coming out. I just gotta go to this thing first. And they say, Well, what thing? And I say, just this thing. They say, Well, can I come too? And I said, No, you can't come. I'll call you after. <laughs> And I'm just fully convicted to go to this. And so I go there 
and it's at the it's at the church school here in Winnipeg, and and I and I I pull up and I go to the back and and the preacher's preaching. I I can't really hear what he's saying or care what he's saying, but I look around. It's a bunch of kids. There's like a youth rally, and I remember sitting in the back, like, why am I here? You know. And then for a moment, I said, okay, I came, and now it's time to go, you know. But inside of me was also something screaming that I need help, and I hope somebody talks to me and asks me, like, am I okay, you know. And so I delayed my exit. I went to the washroom, washed my hands, and, and, and came out. And as I'm going to leave, the pastor that was speaking says, I'd like to get a chance to... To, to talk to you. And I remember shaking his hand being like, in my head, I said, why do you want to talk to me? You don't even know me. But what came out of me was like, when? Like now? And he says, sure. And we walked to my car and talked there. And, and I spilled out my entire story to this man, including what happened that morning. Like, hey, this morning I was going to go back. To, to, to this lifestyle that now I'm here in the car with you and, and I'm just, you know, weeping and being like, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what to do with my life, right? Um, and then the pastor said something that just changed my life forever. He says, uh, there's a different way to live. And he says, uh, one day, Jorge, you're going to share your story and change people's lives. One day you're going to work for the Lord. And I didn't know what that meant. But I looked at him like, okay, <laughs> and and that was that was the be that was the exodus of of that life, right? My name is Julia. I am Jorge's wife. I've known Jorge for about seven and a half years now, and we've been married for a year and a half. When I met Jorge, I met Jorge after his after his encounter with God, after his life was transformed. Um, First time meeting him, he was a pastor, he was a chaplain in school, um, and I did not know about his previous life at all, but he was very open. And it's because it is such a great testimony that has impacted so many people's lives that if he didn't share that, um, a lot of lives would have not been transformed. The first time I heard the story, I just I remember really questioning whether I should continue talking to this guy or not because I couldn't believe that a person could fully transform. But there's this, this guy that tells me that four or five years ago he has done all these crazy things and he has zero desire to do them again. So I just couldn't really believe that that is the reality because it's an, it's an insane transformation. The Jorge that was there when he was 18, 19, 17, up to, I guess, 21, that person is fully gone. Like, he does not exist no more. Um, after he has met God, God has transformed his heart. It's a new creation. It's a different human being, a human with different life goals, different perspectives, different values in life. It's so hard to explain. Like, when I read this story, it just... It's not Jorge that I know today. It's, it's just not him. Jorge, what the pastor said to you that day, did it come true? Yeah, it turns out that it did come true. I, um, 
I dropped out of business school and I, I went on to study theology and became a pastor. I was a school chaplain and then a youth pastor, then a senior pastor, and then I became a prison chaplain. And um, in that time, I was also speaking across Canada and uh, wrote my book and got to share my story all across Canada. And, you know, in jail, working as a prison chaplain, I had many great experiences in there too. And I actually got to witness to some of my old street friends in jail as a prison chaplain. Yeah, so it was a complete, you know, 180 and a complete, uh, you know, turnaround of, and also seeing what would have been me, right? Right. And, and just the miracle of God, you know, in my life. Mm-hmm. But not just in your life, in your family's life, Absolutely. you know, your sister's lives and your mother's life. I mean, she must have, what a relief that her prayers were answered. For sure. And she just kept going. She was a real prayer warrior. For sure. She never stopped praying for you, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And supporting me. Mm-hmm. So your mom also kept kind of prodding you. Can you go and visit Miss Mary? Now it's years later since you saw her. Yeah, Miss Mary ministered to us until we moved out of the out of the projects. Then she would visit us every now and then. And years went by. I hadn't seen her for many years. And, you know, life went on. And Miss Mary was old when she'd ministered to us. And so she was even older now. And my mother would always tell me, you should go visit Miss Mary because when I visit her, she always... Um, talks about these kids that are on her wall and she says she has pictures of you guys on her wall and I said Miss Mary's old she has a hundred pictures of a hundred people on her wall right and my mom was like no you don't understand like it's just you guys I'm like just us nonetheless I blew it off for years like I'm talking years right and so my summer when I was doing my practicum at a church here in Winnipeg it was Mother's Day and I said to my mom what do you want to do today you know, just one thing. And I said, let's go visit Miss Mary. And so we go, we go to visit Miss Mary and my mom knocks on the door and Miss Mary's sleeping and my mom wakes her up and says, hey, Miss Mary, I'm Ducilla. And hey, do you remember me? Because she got dementia over all these years. And she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she says, this is my son, Jorge. And then, and then um, oh, okay, okay. And then I say, I see, I look, I turn to the left and I see on the wall that the only pictures on her wall are me and my three sisters. I say to Miss Mary, like, who are these children? She says, oh, that's this person, this person, this person, that's Jorge, you know, he's like this, this. And I say, Miss Mary, that's me, you know? And she says, what? What do you mean? And I said, that's me, You're, uh, I'm Jorge, I'm the boy on the wall. She says, sit down, sit down, like, tell me, tell me about your life now. And I said, Miss Mary, I, my life has changed. I'm, I'm starting to become a pastor. And uh, she says, I can, I can die knowing that my prayer has been answered. And we just like, yeah. As I uh, think about my life, I'm a very blessed man, you know? I, uh, And God has protected me from many things. And if I don't give credit to her, it wouldn't do it justice because she ministered to me as a child and taught me about God. 
And in my darkest moments, I was always brought back to what she taught me, you know? And, and just knowing that even though I didn't see her in, I don't know, 15 years or however long it was, she was still praying for me every night to a little boy, you know? And then there I was able to tell her, you know, I'm becoming a pastor and serving the Lord. And she says, you know, I, I remember, she also said, I, I finally see the fruit of my prayer. Like I can die knowing that my prayer has been answered, you know, like what a, like what a thing to say to somebody, right? Yeah, that's very hopeful to all the parents and to all the grandparents that are continuing to pray because God promises in his word that he will save our children. And he really answered Miss Mary's prayer and fulfilled that promise in your life. Jorge, we've come to the end of our time together. I wonder if you could pray pray for our viewers there may be someone who is who is listening right now who's saying you know i've lost my way and i need help and uh and god's there for them just as he was there for you could you do that for me? yeah heavenly father i want to thank you god that you never give up on us and i thank you that that although things may seem that it's over, it's not over. And I want to pray for anybody that has found themselves in situations like I was in my life, where they can't get out, they feel like there's no way out, they feel they're alone and have no other options. I just pray, Father, that you would speak to them and let them know that there's a different way to live. I pray that you would lead them um, to Jesus and, 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 and the sacrifice that they're forgiven for the lifestyle that they have lived, that they come to you and accept you. I pray, Father, that we would see miracles, that we would see drug dealers change, prostitutes change, addicts changed, um, relationships restored, families restored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Jorge, Makana could not put your book down when we read it. And so is there a way that others can... Um, get your book. Yeah, it's available directly on Amazon. Danger to Society, Jorge Torres. You can order it directly on there. It's also available on Kindle. And we also offer the book for churches or prisons or schools. Thank you so much. And Jorge, thank you once again for joining us on It Is Written Canada. Thank you for having me. Friends, freedom of choice is one of the most precious gifts God has entrusted to us. Unfortunately, we often make poor choices, which may lead to destructive habits that enslave us, damage our health, and even ruin our lives. Friends, our free offer for you is our special Steps to Christ Recovery Edition. This powerful book includes a 12-step recovery program empowering you to overcome harmful habits and addictions. Above all, you will come to know Jesus Christ, the only one who can heal and restore, strengthen and encourage, as well as bring true balance and meaning to your life. You too can experience the fullness of life that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, 
please visit IIW.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.